Ready, 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 ready. Is that is that are you recording? Yeah, we are. Is that our intro? Yeah, that was it. That's it. Ready, ready, ready. From the Presidium Podcast, the podcast about filmmaking and movie watching. I'm Tim. I am Spartacus. Spartac, you're Spartacus today. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. He's he's wearing his togs and that um, was from that. You know what movie that was from, Tim? That thing you do. Haven't seen that one. You haven't seen that thing you do? No. Is that real? That is correct. I've seen it. You I, would love that thing you do. Why? Because it's a feel-good movie? It's a feel-good movie. It's it fun. Looks, it looks just It's cheesy. lighthearted. But not cheesy in a good way. No, it is. Okay. No, it's a great movie. We should watch it. Uh, well, I'm going to find it on Blu-ray. I bet it's four bucks on Amazon. I'm going to buy it on Blu-ray because I love that movie. And then I we'll watch it, it and we'll do an episode. And we'll watch it and it'll be great, yeah. I love that movie. And it's great because it's a... Uh, of course, I'm a sucker for biopics. And f- but this it's, is fictional, isn't it? It is, but it's like pastiche in a way where you know what era it's in, and it feels very much in that era. But yeah, it's not real. Like the music is good, and they captured like the sound of like the early '60s, but they don't stay together. Spoiler alert! Oh, thanks. Because most because most uh, music biopic movies at the end they end on like their high note, and that this is not that movie. Like they literally. Like, uh, they're literally the one hit one Rhapsody where they, yeah, they, like, they join together at the end and make Yeah, all happy. that thing you do is great because they're literally one hit wonders. And you kind of watch how they blow up and then cannibalize their band. And not literally, that's a different movie. One of my favorite movies from long ago is called The Idol Maker. Nah, I don't know. It, I forget. I, it's long ago. I saw it on HBO a bazillion times. Oh, one of those movies. It's, but it's about a guy who finds a young star and molds him and forms him into being a singing sensation. Mm. And then things go wrong. Yeah. This is not that movie. It's still fun, but... No, it's great. We'll watch it sometime. All right. It's a good summer movie, too. Anyway, it, the drummer keeps saying I'm yeah. Spartacus. That was the joke, because it's actually from Spartacus. You were supposed to say Spartacus, but... Oh, you know. I, I missed the reference. Sorry. <laughs> References, you were referencing a dream earlier. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell you about my dream. I'm going to preface this with I had is two... This, is this rated G? Yeah. Okay. I had two glasses of wine before I went to bed. Red or white? Red. I don't like white wine. Okay. Red wine. I wasn't going to drink wine, but Amanda was like, do you want in on this? As she was holding the bottle in front of me. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I do. So I go to bed, and here's my dream. And this is like... The most vivid dream I've had in years. I don't know why it was so vivid. I don't know why it was so detailed. But here we go. I'm a detective. I don't know why. I'm like a private investigator in this gigantic, I'm going to call it a mansion, but it's actually a complex I find out throughout the dream. Because there's a giant wall around it and there's like canals, like boat canals. I'm kind of in the 30s, I think, because of the way people are dressing. The parts I remember is I stumble upon this conspiracy within the dream of these people that I'm working for. And they figure out that I know about the conspiracy because I find these tiny like iPhone cameras in the walls and the weird wallpaper. And, I'm, and in I the tell, 30s. Yeah, and I tell this old guy that I'm with, he's like my partner or something, or he's a butler there. I don't remember. He was wearing a tuxedo. I tell him, dude, <laughs> there's a conspiracy, and he doesn't believe me. And I say, look, there's the cameras. So the, this, this old-timey phone rings, and he picks the phone up. And this, I'm not kidding you. In my dream, I'm like, don't pick the phone up. Because there's poison on it. Picks the phone up, poison on it, he dies. So they killed him because he figured out the conspiracy. So what do I do in the dream? Obvious, Tim. I start smearing jelly donuts on the walls. 
Don't I, know why. I, I was thinking. Don't know why. Billy Dunn is on the walls. I was like, I'll show them. But then I try to escape. So I find this map, and I'm like, oh, I got to run down, and there's a wall, and I get to this canal, and I'm like, well, they know I'm there because they know that I figured out this conspiracy. I woke up. That was it. I don't know. Did I get out? I don't know. Did you go get... I tried to go back to sleep to see if it would somehow throw me back in, as if this movie had been written or something. <laughs> My brain was just, nope, couldn't figure I don't know what happened. I know I figured out the conspiracy. Don't ask me what the conspiracy is. But there was a conspiracy. Yeah, there was a conspiracy. They killed my buddy. There was like an old butler. I smeared jelly donuts on the walls. Did you go get jelly donuts for breakfast? No, the funny part about it is I hate jelly donuts. So maybe that's why I was smearing them on the walls. Because you you didn't have smeared as as a a food source. Yeah, I wouldn't have smeared like Long John's on the walls or something. I wouldn't have done that. So that was my dream. Maple or chocolate covered Long John's? Chocolate. Cream filled? Cream filled. Yeah. The the whipped cream or custard? No, the whipped cream. I hate custard. It's like pudding. I don't want to eat pudding. (laughs) Pudding doesn't go in donuts. No, I know. I'm eating pudding in a donut. But anyway, that was my dream. I figured the conspiracy out. Cameras in the walls. But you don't know what it was. I I knew they were bad. Like the people, it it was like a Marvel film or something. The people I thought were good at first were not actually. And even in my brain, I was thinking they're not good to my per- to my character in my yeah. dream. That old guy didn't figure it out. I don't even know what his name is. Poor guy, he died. <laughs> died right there on the carpet, in the green weird '30s carpet. What was the effect of the poison? Did he like froth at the mouth, or did he just died? No, he just died. It wasn't. It wasn't like violent. Were you watching? I just got recently mad. I watched his, it. His no, I don't think against so. Conspiracies or no? Any of your readings? No. Just your brain went there. I smeared the donuts on the wall. After two glasses of wine. That's what Amanda said. She goes, you're not drinking wine before bed anymore. (laughs) But it was so much fun. Until it's not fun, I'll tell you. What were you watching while you're drinking wine? YouTube videos. So I was watching... um, I started on... What YouTube video was I watching? We were watching the tallest... The top ten tallest water slides in the world. Nice. A lot of them are in Brazil. And then we moved on from there down the rabbit hole to roller coasters, which I didn't agree with their list. And then I rarely do. I've, I've, I know those are stupid lists anyway. It's just I just wanted to see the roller coasters. Were they wooden or steel? Which which coasters were they rating? Steel. They did all steel, but I think they threw one wooden one in there. I think that came out because I watch a lot of that. Have you ever watched the Yes or Tomorrow World? Yester World? What's the name of it? I think it's Yester World. It's all Disney. Usually you would like it. It's a whole channel about old Disney attractions well they do universal too but they actually give you the history behind the rides so there's one about the jaws ride in universal florida where i didn't know this it was supposed to actually be it was actually supposed to be one of the original attractions at universal studios florida ironically the shark never worked because the original ride in jaws you were supposed to just go out into this giant bay and the shark and they had video from the original ride through when the um the shark comes up and bites the boat and pulls it around in the water but that obviously didn't work all the time. For, for, or for very long. Yeah, and like the first couple rides, at one point some guy actually accidentally fell into the water because they didn't have – and the shark was coming. And they said that he was like <laughs> swimming frantically and the shark was coming, uh, which would make it a much more exciting ride. But, yeah, it didn't work for years. They didn't open until like 94, I think. But that was – I think it's called Yesterworld. I think I'm plugging a channel that's – they did not pay us. All right, yeah. I think you should. They're not affiliated with us, but that's the channel. So then it just gives you all this theme park crap right. that I click on. But you would like it. You like theme park stuff. 
Do you guys just frequently just sit around watching YouTube channels? Yeah, because like I don't have cable. Oh, okay. We stream everything, so I have Roku and I have Netflix and Prime, and a lot of the times I just get on YouTube and look at stupid crap. So this is just you're basically mindless Sunday night. Yes, that's what I do. Kicking back. I look at yeah theme park, old theme parks. Well, and I got down that rabbit hole because I like to watch those urban explorer videos where they go into abandoned. <laughs> and one of them, and then I fell down another hole because one of them they go to River Country because oh, Disney at, at Disney World. Yeah, because Disney just built a fence around it, but it's pretty crazy because they just let it go, and there's just trees growing out of the water slides, but they still turn the electricity on, so people will break in at night, and there's still, and still music. Lit. Yeah, there's still music playing, and it's like a apocalyptic horror video game or something. What's the other one? The Bird Sanctuary. That one's a Discovery Island. Yeah, people break into that one a lot too. Yeah. They have sensors on that one, though, that people land well, on the, yeah, the, 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 the police boats come out. Yeah, they started getting more touchy because of the YouTube videos, but I love the YouTube videos. Disney? Discovery Island, at one point in time, they're going to try to turn it into Mist. They're going to make it like the, the Mist video game, where you go on, you land on the island and have an experience of trying to solve puzzles. So that's weird, because last night... And this was years and years and years ago. I asked Amanda, do you remember the game Mist? There's a video that I watched last night about the game Mist. I never played that one, but that was one that did interest me because it sounded like an. I interest- liked Mist. It seemed like a, an interesting game to play. I played Riven a lot. Riven was the second one. Right. Riven was hard. I had to buy like a stupid guidebook to beat it because it's. And then when <laughs> when you got to the end, you were like, wait. I had to remember a set. Literally, you had to remember sounds that animals made throughout, and the, they were non consequential. Like you would go, and there'd be a whale, and it would make this sound. You're like, okay, it's just a mist thing, right? No, at the end to get like the telescope thing that shoves through the ground, which is the end of the game because the whole universe gets sucked into the expanse of space. Spoiler alert for those people, I guess, running out to buy ribbon. You had to match up these symbols that were drawn on the wall on like the lower left-hand corner when the animal made that noise throughout the entire game. It was six discs long, this game. <laughs> and you're supposed to remember. You're supposed to remember that. What's that and then con- you know what happened at the end? You ready, Tim? You ready to know we, what happened at the end? You solved all the puzzles and you Once won? you solved it all in the climactic end and everyone gets sucked into this like portal, the end of Riven is the beginning of Mist. It was a prequel. But Mist came out first? Yeah. So the beginning so you, of the you, game You've already Mist, solved the puzzle of the puzzle you just solved. Yes, the beginning of the game Mist, where you're falling... You didn't play it. No. You're falling through like this fissure and you see space and then the book Mist lands and you go inside the book. That is the end of Riven. So I played Riven for like 57 hours <laughs> with a cheat, to with get the cheat to guide. Mist that I already played for 57 hours. <laughs> What a great game. (laughs) (laughs) Kept you busy for a while. What a great game. It was so creepy, though, because the whole thing was just atmospheric. And you're waiting for things to jump out, but nothing ever jumped out. You were, like, always at this heightened state. Like, oh, there's creepy music now. Nothing happened. Did J.J. Abrams play Mist as a kid? And that's how he came up with with Lost and all of his other mysteries? He's like, I don't have to answer it. It's fine. We'll just make it the end of Mist. That would be cool, though, Mist Island. I like that idea. Maybe not. I don't know. It probably it's one of those things where when Disney makes when you look at their original concepts, sometimes they're way cooler than what actually happened. What do you mean? Like when they originally Imagineer stuff, it's way cooler than what actually when came to fruition. When you, to, when you actually have to build it, it gets a little bit more. Yeah, difficult. it gets dicey because they have dreamers sitting there going, "What if you flew through space?" And everyone's like, "Yeah, that sounds great." And then you get to the 
actual workings and the engineers go, you can't actually fly through that, space. Or, no. <laughs> but the things they do pull off is pretty amazing. Yeah, the stuff they do is great, but the stuff they wanted to do is better. Like usual. That's everything. That's life. Have you written Soren? No, I never wrote it. I heard it's good. It was the... They have it at Epcot. Yeah, then they changed it from Soren over California to Soren over the world. Oh and yeah, yeah. So it was Soren over California, which yeah. wouldn't do well. Didn't do well in Florida. Because it's so at the they, California part. It was amazing in California. And, yeah, I never and, and the way they they lift you up into the screen. Yeah, that, that's a cool concept. Yeah, and they were struggling with that for a while, and the guy went home and played with his Erector set. and yeah. figured it out. It's neat. I mean, engineering is neat. That's like the Harry Potter Forbidden Journey. The engineering of it is, is really that the first neat. one. Yeah, yeah, the one that's on like a weird arm the lift. Kumba. Yeah, the Kumba arms. Yeah, that's a, I like that one better than the uh, Escape from Hogwarts because that one's like a basic 3D screen roller coaster type. I don't know. It's fine, but it's not as good as Forbidden Journey. I've, I have not been on either. So. We've really gotten away from what we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I've not been on either. Speaking of Harry Potter, mm. what movies do we have coming up? One of my all-time favorite. In my life. In your life. Jurassic Park. We were recording this on May 13th, 14th? I don't May know thir- today, today is May 13th. Yeah. And this weekend, on Saturday, which is May 18th, we are showing National Vacation. Lampoon's Vacation yes. at the Mayflower Arts Center great movie. in Troy, Ohio. Then June 15th is Jurassic 15th Park. Is Jurassic Park. That's our next movie. It's our next movie after Vacation. Because we got the Strawberry Festival yeah. on Memorial Day. Because yeah. so we usually try to show movies on the first and third Saturdays of the month. The first Saturday of June is Troy's Strawberry Festival, where they shut down an entire it's downtown, block off all the streets, and it's just vendors and food. Yeah, and we're not showing movies Tens of thousands that. of people, and we know better than trying to show a movie that night. Yeah. So Jurassic Park, well, it's good, because it gives us a little lull. Yes. Jurassic Park, and then we're trying the double feature late night. So late night. Jurassic Park, early in the evening, Yep, a bit of a break, so people can go have some food, some adult beverages, take a nap, and then we open up for Scream. late night Fright Fest showing Scream. Bantered about Jurassic oh, Park before, no. we've argued about it for hours upon hours. So Jurassic Park for me... And really for my generation, I'm going to speak for my generation here, Tim. The people who weren't millennials but now are thrown into millennials, but now they're talking about not making us millennials anymore. Are you pre-millennials? But post-tax? Originally, we were we were not millennials. And then, because I'm in like the last three years of what a millennial actually is before it's what? What are you, Gen X? I'm, I'm a boomer. Oh, are you? I, I'm the last last year or two of baby boomers. that old. I am that old. All right. So what's the one after you, Gen X? Uh, sure. Right. So I'm like three years before or after Gen X. But I used to be, before, they called us Generation the, the, Next or something. Yeah, when Pepsi? we didn't have, we didn't actually label Generation. So you, this you, is all made up. So this is all you, arbitrary. So you, you didn't get one, but now you get one in, yeah. in hindsight. The whole labeling of generations is for old people to yell about young people is the whole point of this. But it, what I'm saying is... That group of people that are now in their 30s, Jurassic Park was the movie that defined your generation. It blew your mind as a 30-year-old. 30, 30 it blows my mind as a 30-year-old. It blew my mind as a third grader when I went and saw it. <laughs> I, like, I'd seen movies before that, but that was that's one of the movies that I point to in my life and go, that movie 
I went to I I mean I went to see that movie. I drug anyone I could to see it. I think I went to see it four times. I I drug everyone. I had the the novelization of it for like kids where they wrote about the movie, and I had like I didn't have tons of toy. I didn't have tons of toys of it, but it was was it a toy centric movie? They had some, but it wasn't, but it wasn't like no, the, the, the it mar- wasn't the merchandising that we see now. No, or even Star Wars level. No, but it just I remember I remember. My dad taking me to see that, and it just that's the scene where the Tyrannosaurus comes through the fence was just wrong, mind blowing, mind so blowing. Wrong. Oh my god, it's not <laughs> mind blowing. The way that whole thing is shot, and then the raptors chasing the kids, and the and yeah. So apparently, you are, are you looking forward to seeing it on the big screen again? Again, I am. I haven't seen it since. So yeah, that's gonna be. Will you be eating popcorn? Is it a popcorn grinder? I don't know. It's a, it's a popcorn grinder. Because you, you, you get so involved in the movie, you're just like shoveling popcorn. I'm just shoveling popcorn in? And not paying I'm still confused what a popcorn grinder is. I, 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 I thought it was a brainless I, movie. I'm, no, I'm, I'm working on definitions oh, okay. we'll, for, for you. We'll be coming at you with the definitions. Right. Yeah, I'm excited to see it on the screen. Well, you, don't, you don't do popcorn, so for you it's a, what, a, a milk, milk duds. Milk duds. Mine's movie. milk dud grinders. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you how stuck my teeth get by how many milk duds are in my mouth. Or how many boxes you walk in with? Yeah, I went through one box in like the first hour of Avengers, and I was like, "Oh no, I'm out of milk duds." But it's a movie too that a I own on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. No Laserdisc. No, I, that was I don't I think Laserdisc was long gone by then. But it's just you know like uh, the Lost World I didn't care for, but and dress I won't talk about the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> It's just it's just one of those movies. It's like when people talk about Star Wars, the original Star going to see Star Wars. I guess from from me that was Jurassic Park was it. I hadn't seen anything like that, and so when we talk about cinema experiences and things like that, I, that would be mine that I point to, Jurassic Park. You can buy it on Laserdisc off of eBay for four ninety nine. Four dollars. Four dollars and ninety nine cents. Nah, that's good. I'm good. The Jurassic Park laser disc. I I doubt I doubt Unopened, Amanda would It's a thousand dollars. Yeah, I, I doubt Amanda want me to buy the laser disc of it to sit around my house. But so I am excited. I'm excited about late night fright fest. Yes, Scream's gonna be great. Do you like Scream? Have you seen Scream? I, I saw Scream when it came in the theaters. Should we have someone dress up like Ghostface and I like run through the crowd? <laughs> or just have everyone have everyone in the audience dressed as, as what is their, that Scream Four where they have the stab Sabathon? Is that Scream Four? I I, I like quit watching them after one. Yeah, it, they it, one of them it, they have everyone's dressed up like Ghostface and I I appreciated the humor in it, but I found I mean I appreciated the horror in it, but I found the humor tiresome to the point where I didn't want to see two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, I I I, I, I felt I like I, seen I felt like Scream. I've and, only seen Scream. Because it felt like they're going down the same road as yeah, Friday the Thirteenth yeah. and Halloween, where well, then that I know you did last summer. There was a knockoff of Scream, and yeah, 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 Scream is good. I remember when Scream came out, which was what a couple years after Jurassic Park. You have Jurassic Park put all to the laser disc. That's the laser disc. Yeah. That movie was a big deal when it came out. I remember people going to see it and saying how the first ten minutes was just brutal of Scream. I saw it when it first came out. Once I haven't seen it since. It was shocking. Is that where Drew Barrymore? Spoiler, yeah. The beginning's Drew Barrymore. Yeah, okay. The, right, yeah, the, that, the that, iconic. Yeah, it's yeah. the first ten minutes. Yeah, that was pretty intense. And so I remember the person I was talking to, one of my friends that was allowed to go see rated R movies. I wasn't saying how shocked they were at the beginning. I won't do spoilers, but how shocked that first ten minutes was. It's the it's the Pixar first ten minutes of a movie for a horror movie. Mm-hmm. 
But it's iconic now with right. Drew Barrymore answering the phone. And But it is good. It's late Wes Craven. Wes Craven's great. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Did you know Wes Craven, trivia for you, started his career in the porn industry? Right. Not as an actor, but he was working on the... <laughs> f- that would be weird. He was working on the films. Because he, he was one of those directors that was like, I just have to learn as much as I can about it. I'm going to show up, try to get any job possible. Because it doesn't have to be good, but you learn about right quick decisions, lighting. Right. Well, yeah. So he got jobs on porn right. shoots. Um, I don't know what he was. Key grip or something. <laughs> you want to be a key grip, huh? <laughs> Is that a different type of responsibility? Or was the guy that <laughs> spritzes them with water. But yeah, that's how he started. And I guess, talking to him, I mean, the 70s, it was an easy transition from low-budget porn to low-budget horror movies, because then he started making things like Hills Have Eyes and some of those early ones. When did you decide that horror was your genre? That this was that this is the stuff you enjoyed watching and studying and Yeah. You know what's funny about that is I didn't watch a lot of horror movies when I was younger and I chalked that up to The Exorcist. But That is a horror movie, isn't it? Yeah, but it <laughs> scared the crap out of me. Um, but I always have been interested in it and one of the things I point to is reading. So I was, re- I was a big reader, obviously, as an English major. But my parents bought me, and I was young. I was always reading ahead of my level. So I was getting, and I would just read everything. They bought me the scary stories to tell in the dark books. Okay. Or the first one. I think it would have been first or second grade. And I just loved those books. And the the pictures in it were just so disturbing. Which then I found out was recently. It intended, was it intended for your age group? Or? I don't know. It, it was, but the pictures weren't. And I found out recently I was really mad that they redid those books. And they made the pictures less. They made it more fun? More, yeah, more they're less uh, disturbing. Which that was like those some of those pictures in that book. It made you who you are today. Yeah, you look at it and you're like, oh, turn the page quick, because that lady has no eyes, and it looks real. But I liked those. Nickelodeon came out with Are You Afraid of the Dark, the series, and I loved Are You Afraid of the Dark. And I and then I found out recently that a lot of those episodes were just repurposed Twilight Zone episodes, but I didn't know the <laughs> Twilight Zone. Are You Afraid of the Dark? I'd watch Are You Afraid of the Dark. Saturday night, Are You Afraid of the Dark would come on. And my one sister, she was young, she wasn't allowed to be in the room when the when the song started. Because at the very beginning, there was like a heartbeat. Do you remember Are You Afraid of the Dark? You're nope. older. I, there's I, like a heartbeat, and there's this abandoned like canoe in the water, and then there's just generic horror things, and there's a, a scary-looking clown and lightning, and she couldn't even be, and then a match lights <laughs> up. It says, But every week was this episodic, oh, it's a new story. It's a new horror story. It's a new. Some were bad. Some were good. Some were great. Then through that, I found Goosebumps came out. The Goosebumps series. That's true. You, you did grow up in an era where that, that stuff was mainstream. And now, yeah. And now when I look back on it as an adult, horror in the 90s was starting to... From, and I kind of see now why people my age are more prone to watching horror movies. Because in the 90s, they were really pumping us full of that stuff. The other thing I liked to do was I would sneak out. Hopefully my parents aren't listening to this. I would sneak out... <laughs> Every now and then, and I knew at 12.30 at night, Fox, because back in the day, the Fox channel was, they would play stuff that, like Married with Children and stuff like that, that ABC was playing Home Improvement. They played reruns of Tales from the Crypt, and those shows would scare the crap out of me. Like, that's stupid. But I loved it. I would, I gotta go see what's, and then I would like halfway through turn it off. I'm like, I can't deal with that. 
the Crypt Keeper and all that stupid stuff. And that I probably would have been fourth, fifth grade. I don't know. So it's always been. I loved Edgar Allan Poe. I didn't grasp all the details, but I got parts of his story, like cutting a woman up and putting her in the floorboards, or, or cutting an old guy up and then, what's he, buries his wife in the wall. And yeah. so I read all that stuff. I tried reading Dracula when I was young because uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula came out in what ninety four, ninety five. Because in the 90s, they started those where they were redoing classic horror movies because then they did Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and they did. And so then they re-released the books. So I remember going and getting Dracula from the library, but I I think it was above my, I didn't get, like the first 40 pages were amazing because Jonathan Harker's in the castle. And then it goes to like where Mina's writing journals and stuff. And I thought, as a fourth grader, I don't get it. <laughs> I get it now. I love the book now, but I'm, you know, yeah, fourth, fourth grade. Might fourth grade now. For... Yeah, I didn't get the Victorian culture that they were writing. Um, so, yeah, now that I think about it, it's like my generation was kind of pumped full of that stuff. That Yeah, mainstream horror, I guess. Uh, I snuck The Exorcist when I was like in seventh grade and I made it halfway through. And that's really horror movies I never watched. seventh grade, you're... I think I was twelve or thirteen. That's 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 pretty young for Exorcist. Yeah, and my my friend was like, and my parents said, "Don't watch The Exorcist." And so you had my, to go see my it. friend, whose parents didn't care about anything. He was like, "I have The Exorcist," and we watched about. I made it to the point of the crucifix scene, and I was like, "I can't do this." <laughs> so you watched it in someone's house as opposed to the theater. Yeah, okay. It was so on, you didn't watch it on VHS. The All right. No, no, no. Twilight Zone. I got into the Twilight Zone. I still love the Twilight Zone. It's my favorite of all time. You did see that the director guy from Us. Is, yeah, is he's like Twilight. narrating it. Yeah, I thought he's I, I thought he's directing an episode of it too. He is why. Yeah, I don't care. I I don't care about that. I like the original. It's culturally, you, it's hard to replicate. And I told one of my class was talking about the Twilight Zone. I said they've tried it. This is the fourth time they've tried to reissue and repackage the Twilight Zone. It just doesn't work because what Rod Serling was writing culturally it just doesn't i mean he was writing about you know race and the cold war and all that stuff's in the twilight you know feminism all that stuff's in the twilight zone that we don't it's not the same now so it's yeah yeah, yeah. anyway so and some of those are you know quote-unquote horror episodes and some are like science fictiony and some are so i i used to watch especially sci-fi started doing the new year's eve marathon and i would tape them (laughs) on vhs i would tape the new year's eve marathon tape the new year's eve My parents and I always watched Halloween at Halloween, but it was on, we watched the TV version, which is still good. I, I still liked Halloween. Because they pretty much just cut out the nudity, don't they? Is yeah, that, they cut out. And it's, it's, Halloween doesn't have a lot of blood in it. Right. So it's... But still like the, the kid hanging from the door. Yeah, they kept that in there. Okay. I mean, that was, I mean, that's light. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's really where it started. And then I didn't, I'm trying to remember my life. This turned into, a, let's get real. This is real talk. Listen, um, Justin's laying on the couch now. I know. The therapist pad out. This is a. Uh, I grew up first. I remember my brother used to sit around and scare me because <laughs> he would go around and do. Was it Barnabas Collins? Was that? I don't know. It was a TV show. He was the character on a TV show. Is that Dark Shadows? I remember Dark Shadows. Whatever Barnabas Collins. I don't know. And he would go around and whisper the name to me. And from Omega Man, he'd always, outside my bedroom window, go, Matthias. Which is the remake of Last Man on Earth with Victor, or um, Vincent Price. Okay. And then it became which is Legend. the Yeah, which is, Last Man on Earth is the adaptation of I Am Legend, which is a Richard Matheson story. And then it became Omega Man, which then I Am Legend is the remake of. 
Well, I wouldn't. It's the similarities <laughs> between Omega Man and I Am Legend are very thin. The book is very good. But I just remember he would sit around and and sit outside my bedroom when my bedroom door and go Matthias. Yeah. And we also would watch the Night Stalker on yeah. Friday Night TV. I like Night Stalker. Yeah. They played on MeTV late at night on Saturday. But that was live on TV, not live. But that was the waiting for the Night Stalker to come out so we could watch his next new thing. And then he was in Christmas Story because he was the He's the, the scary Columbo. Yeah. He's the dad in Christmas Story, though. But those things, um, those things didn't influence me as much as your your diet influenced you down the road. Yeah, I got into Hitchcock in college, so I didn't even really I got care. Into, I got into Don Waters. So, so I, oh God. <laughs> so my movie. I mean, I was an English major, and I thought I was going to be the next Hemingway, and so because I loved Hemingway, I still like Hemingway. I used to write a lot of the stories I wrote were very Twilight Zone esque stories. Go figure. I read a little Stephen King in high school, but I I still even Stephen King today I don't I know people are, are going to scream at the radio. I don't think his writing's that great. Like when we when I taught I, I, don't, I don't understand it. Myself. Yeah, when I taught The Shining in class this last semester, I liked the movie better. And I told him I said the movie for me is just a better narrative. Like it's it's more concise. It's I get where it's going. The book meanders a lot, and his writing really isn't that elevated where you can call it literary. It's kind of just, he knows how to tell a story, which is good. Yeah. And he's made a lot of money doing it. I'm not saying he's a bad writer. I'm saying his writing style, I don't care for as much. I read some of the early, Pet Cemetery is my favorite, which I think I discussed in the Pet Cemetery podcast. The Shining's fine. Carrie's fine. I never bit into it. But which the like, trailer just dropped. Did you watch the trailer? But you like the movies, though, right? I liked it. I liked the first part. I don't know about that second part. I watched the trailer the other day, and I was like, ah, I don't know. We'll see. Is it too based on the book? Or yeah, the... it's still the book, but okay. it's them as adults, which is what the first part cut out, which I liked. But I didn't get into film because I used to just go, like, I liked watching movies, and I liked them. From a standpoint of, I think, how most people watch movies, like, that was a good story, or I liked the acting. I didn't get into film film until I was a senior. It was my last year in undergrad, and I took a film appreciation course. Just learning the intricacies of making film, and we studied a lot of Hitchcock. And so that's where I kind of started to get into film, in a way. So, Psycho, we watched Strangers on a Train. But yeah, the... the instructor i had had been there a while so we did a lot of classic hollywood so it was we had to watch citizen kane which i wouldn't subject my students to now but i'd show them clips to say like this is why it's important because it is important is this still rated the top yeah i would not rate it the best but i thought that it started dropping because people realized yes historically it depends if you go bfi which is british it's vertigo vertigo is the top movie of all time but if you do afi it's citizen kane it's not a good movie. Historically, it's it good. Is. It's not enjoyable to sit and watch. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's long. It's just, right. you have to know why it's important. And I get that. And I learned it, but I don't need to go back and watch it. Now, I saw, I caught a, I caught a scene of it. And I hadn't watched it since, but I caught a scene of it on TCM. They're playing it. I had it on TV at work. Again, background. <laughs> and I happened to look up and I was like, oh, they're playing Citizen Kane. How do you make that a background movie? Well, I was working, and yeah. the sound was off. I don't know why I was on TCM. I thought, oh, uh, it was Christmas movies. AMC had those Christmas movies. Yeah. So I just left Willy Wonka. was on like 17 times. <laughs> but Citizen Kane came on because I guess they ran out of Christmas music movies at some point. I remember looking up and thinking, that's a really interesting, like just the shot composition and like what he did. 
with a camera was amazing, but that turned away from it, and I was like, that was neat. So that's a fun ten seconds, right? So I guess my argument for Citizen Kane is it's important to know why it's important. But yes, like Catcher in the Rye. I like Catcher in the Rye. I read it. And I was. I, I don't understand. But it's like you're oh, not as cynical as I am. I noticed true. a lot of people that are cynical love Catcher in the Rye, but like Amanda read it and she didn't get it. I got it. I just I didn't understand why people. thought Yeah, it was she such a didn't. Book. She was just like, it's kind of boring. I'm like, no, it's hilarious. And she's like, it wasn't that funny. And I'm like, you're not cynical. How about On the Road? I do not like On the Road. In fact. I had to read on the road recently for my PhD. I de- I couldn't get through it. Don't tell my advisor. Like I got, ha- I said I, <laughs> I think I got halfway through and I went, I get it. I like, and so I got on Wikipedia and was like, here's what happens at the end. And you and read I, the Cliff Notes version. And I didn't. Yeah. And even reading that, I went, I'm glad I didn't read it because I get it. I, okay. That's when I going could... across America. It's the Beat Generation. I get it. Because when I moved from corporate America to being an artist. And everyone is, was... So wait, you their, like On the Road? No, no. Everyone oh. was waving their arms in the air. You have to read On the Road. It is a classic. It'll, it'll transform your life as, a, as an artist. Yeah. So I sat down and tried to read it. And I think I made it maybe halfway through. I'm like, this is boring. I, it, I, it is. It's at first... I don't know if you had the same feeling reading it. At first, you're kind of excited about it. You're like, oh, yeah, he's going to... Go across, but yeah. then he goes across America like fifteen times. I'm like, I don't care at this point what's happening in America, yeah. <laughs> or the drugs you're taking. I don't care. Culturally, I get it. Yes, I get why it's I, important. Right from that lens, right um, when it was written and what was going on in society at the time, I can understand its importance. And I'm not gonna say it's bad. It's not bad. It's just I don't. It's not my. I tried to read it three times. This is the third time. I was like, I. It's just not for me. Did you read John Waters' book about hitchhiking across the USA? No. I read I'm not a huge few... John Waters. Like, everyone's like a John Waters fanboy, and I'm not. It was one of the best books I read the year that I read that book. I think it was a couple years ago when it first came out. I really enjoyed his writing style and the, and the approach he took on that book. Oh. Eh. Anyway. It, it was a summer read. It wasn't an intellectual read. It's a popcorn grinder. Yeah. <laughs> it's a popcorn grinder popcorn book. Popcorn grinder book. <laughs> yeah. I really didn't even get into film till later in life, like understanding it. And that's when I, this is going to be really weird. That's when I understood what understanding film is, where a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people, (laughs) it's not that they don't understand. They, I think a lot of the general public, at least back in the day, two, five years ago, knew they liked certain aspects, but they don't know how to talk about it. So they'll say things like, I liked it. And you go, why? And they go, I just, I mean, that part was neat. But they don't they don't know how to say, like, the pacing or this scene, however I, I, this was I, shot was. I definitely I, feel I'm, I'm in that category. I like movies because I like them. I can't dissect them like you do. Right. The reverse of that is I can't ever shut off my brain to it. Right. And we've talked about that where it's you can't the, just sit down and watch a movie. It's and, the curse. Yes. Yeah. But the same thing with me looking at art. I can't look at art and just enjoy it. I have to look at it in terms of... I'm kind of like that with art. I like certain art, and then I... Like, going to an art museum, I always toy with the idea, but then I'm like, there's art that I'm just... Ugh. I like specific art, and then it's beyond that, I don't get it. I'm like, And yeah, I'm not it's... art historian, but still, I had to study some art history yeah. for my degree. And I go in, and I can look at German Expressionism, and while I don't particularly like the artwork itself i can enjoy the artwork from the perspective of what they were doing as do you like dadaism i like the concept of what they were doing <laughs> the, but again that's the, a cultural the, you have the, to the, understand the work, the, the work i think 
I don't quite grasp how the yeah. work succeeded, but I like what they were doing as an organi- as a group. And that's when you get into a lot of like even with film, film literature, art, you can kind of throw them all into one where you get into different movements. You kind of have to understand the movement to understand, not always, but to really appreciate it. It, it places it in a in a yeah, a, a cultural perspective. Right. So like modernism itself, you have to kind of understand like T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, you have to understand what he's even rebelling against to get why, or else you just read it and go, it's just a bunch of images of like people playing chess. And and, and we're still like, like postmodernism and things like that. You have to understand that it's a writing against modernism. So then you have to understand <laughs> modernism to understand postmodernism. It's, art's the same way. I like Hopper a lot. Hopper's my favorite I find I've, Looking at his work, I find it boring until you start studying it in the detail and start looking at the perspective of how he influenced photographers yeah it's very picture it's very lifelike right and just like the lighting Hopper. how he yeah how he the lighting, lighting really... and composition and nighthawks is great i like and, the... And, the, and the subtle stories he tells when you pay attention when you my favorite hopper it. is actually and now i just blanked so now i sound like an idiot oh crap what's it called you know that one you like it has the colors and people it's on in. nighthawks i said nighthawks and i'm stuck yeah. on nighthawks um, um the automat have, automat's not... the good one that one's my favorite i to... use that one in class sometimes about not right about art. I'd have to Google it to see. Spoiler alert, there's a woman sitting by herself. That's <laughs> like every hopper. Every hopper. I was like, is it an empty setting with a person yep, sitting she's got a cup. Alone? She's got a cup of coffee in front of her. It's dark outside. There you go. It's yeah. automat. But it's cool that, but how it, what he does in the automat before I get into art, um, like you said with, with his lighting, is he even has the reflections on the windows of the interior so that you know looking at it, oh, it's dark outside and it's reflecting the bright interior that she's sitting in. I don't know. That's good. Anyway, anyway. I digress. Moving back to movies. So I digress. Watching Godfather. The first one? The Godfather, yeah. I really enjoyed I like that the movie. Godfather. But I, I couldn't quit admiring the lighting that they use in that. The, the lighting in that movie is just amazing. He does all practical lighting. But still, just it's, I kept looking at it. It's like, that's or so it, beautifully lit. Or what appears lit. practical lighting, right. yeah. And Notice. so as a, I, I, it kept pulling me out of the movie because I kept analyzing and, and adoring the filmmaking technique. Yeah. Yeah. And the way he lights that, it feels very gritty and it feels like it's 1940, whatever. Yeah. Was that 48, 49 it takes place in? Sure. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. I like The Godfather. It's just, it's one of those that's so long that I'm not going to sit down. Today I'm going to watch The Godfather. It's just not. It is a long one. Yeah. You, you, you do have to be in the mindset and mood for it. You can't just sit down and channel surf and it's on and you go, I'll just watch this for the next three no, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Apocalypse Now, which is, I love Apocalypse Now, but. You have to intentionally watch that one. Yeah, I'm not going to sit down and watch it on a Saturday. Why not? It's just, it's it's another one of those that's like, you got to be in the mood for it. It's a great movie, but it's. Do you have to be in the mood to watch Jurassic Park? Or can you watch that anytime? No, well, no, yes, no. <laughs> what, what, you've said no and yes 17 times each. I'm so busy, though, anymore. That's like anything. I, I don't have the time to just be like, what but should it, I watch? Ignoring... I could watch Jurassic Park. Yeah, I could go home tonight and watch Jurassic Park. Yeah. And I would you don't, be you don't really have to be in the mood for it. You can. Is it one of the comfort movies where you're looking through your, your list of movies and you go, I just put Jurassic Park in because I know I'll enjoy it. It's a comfort movie, but I think it's also good. It's a good movie. I know I, I razz you for all the the things I find wrong with it. It is an enjoyable movie. Spielberg is notorious. I will relent here. 
that Spielberg is notorious for continuity errors. All of his movies have continuity errors in them. In fact, my uncle loved Spielberg, and I guess my mom said he used to sit and pick out the mistakes <laughs> he would find in Spielberg movies. But Spielberg made movies really fast. He still does. That's how he he's very prolific. And Spielberg, and you and I have talked, Spielberg does a lot of, he has such a huge staff. He has people in post-production. He'll shoot it, and then he'll go on to another movie, and so he'll have the post-production people... Crank it along? Crank it along. He's not a Hitchcock or a Tarantino or a Kubrick where they have, or they, Nolan, where they're in control they, they live the for movie. years. Yeah, he just moves on to the next one. So right. at the end of Jurassic Park, once he got done shooting it, he went on to Schindler's List. So he was shooting Schindler's List while they're doing post-production on Jurassic Park. How do you, in his, because you know he's still involved in post. Right, he was, yeah. But how do you shift your mind? I, I guess your, they your would mind, send him. But still mentally, as you're... Just even directing a movie versus post-production, and then very different subject matter. Right. How, how do you, after all day sp- shooting sp- uh, Schindler's List, do you sit down and look over the current edits yeah, for I Jurassic I Park? Yeah, I don't know. And apply a <clears throat> constructive lens to it? I don't know. In fact, I saw, I saw an interview with Spielberg. Because I think Spielberg is good. When Spielberg's on, he's on. He's almost like Stephen King. When he's good, he's good. When he's not, there's not really an in-between with Spielberg. Maybe The Terminal. There you go. There's a movie I like that's <laughs> kind of a throwaway. Uh, that's, that one's a comfort movie, too, where I'm like, it's fun, and Tom Hanks is stuck in the airport. Um, <laughs> a Spielberg movie. Um, but he was on an interview talking about Kubrick, and I guess towards the end of Kubrick's life, they were working on AI because Kubrick wanted him to direct AI and then he would produce it. Um, and the one thing that Kubrick could not understand, Steven Spielberg said that it kept asking him was, how do you make movies so fast? He said, because you know, Kubrick would take years and years on right. one project because he would complete, like you said, he would completely dive into it as he, opposed to Spielberg lived, he, he that was lived, doing, he lived it. Yeah. He lived the project. Three different projects where one could be about the Holocaust and one's about dinosaurs on an Island. Like how do you, you're right. I, I don't know. How do you keep throwing off your different hats? So yeah, that's, that's Spielberg though. I mean, I don't know. He's a, it's an interesting, he's an interesting, I said, there's a lot of, I love a lot of Spielberg movies and then there's some that are just not good. Sure. But when you make so much, you're not going to have, you know, he has so many credits. That's, I don't know. Have I ever told you my, my brush with fame with Spielberg? No. I am convinced on a flight many years ago. So this isn't real? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is real. I'm convinced on a flight I was on that, that Steven Spielberg was in first class. Yeah. And I was in the bulkhead opposite. He was in the aisles opposite aisle from him. Yeah. I am convinced it was him. And he kept turning around looking at me. Was he attracted I, to you? I think he wanted to be, me to be in a movie. <laughs> He was afraid to approach me. That's, yep. Otherwise, I, I, right now, I, automatically, be, I, I, I would be a movie star. You would be at Spielberg's. Yeah. I would be an IMDb. In, Instead of Tom Hay- and Tom uh, Cruise and War of the Worlds, it would be you. I, yep. I would, That's one of the Spielberg. I like War of the Worlds, and people hate it. And I'm like, I eh. didn't watch that one just because it's It's Tom actually Cruise. a good movie. I'm telling you, give it a try. I think people hate it on it because they're like, oh, War of the Worlds, the 50s. That's good. He blended the book with... The original with modern time, like, it works. And it's another thing where it's like Spielberg, it's not about the aliens. It's about Tom Cruise's relationship with his kids, which it, I don't know. That's one of those that I'm, 
if we go through my list of movies, there you go. There's a go through my list of movies. You'll see War of the Worlds, and I'll say, nah, that that stays because that's. Sometimes I'll just turn that on and be like, <laughs> it's just good. It's I went to see it in the theater. I was excited about it. I know it's not. I'm not gonna write a paper on it or anything, but it's not like a deep thinker. You but, were you were working on a paper. Did you give up on it? No, I still got it. It's I'm 20 pages deep. You would tell people what you're writing. No, on? I'm gonna save that one. It's a secret paper. I'm sick of talking about it right now. I told you that. That's true. As a hint. Crystal Skull. There's Spielberg. We could do good Spielberg, bad Spielberg. Um, <laughs> Lost World, Jurassic Park, bad Spielberg. Jurassic Park, good Spielberg. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's weird what he chooses to do. Like some of them, I used to say it's like, oh, it's Spielberg getting a paycheck. He doesn't need a paycheck at this point, but well, don't they sometimes have to make a pop movie so they can have permission to make? their movie yeah because he, he yeah he would make like he would do this and he still does it where he does these serious movies and then he does yeah crystal skull like crystal skull came out around the same time i think of as lincoln which is a serious movie i, I don't know he was probably making them at the same time again who knows <laughs> who knows i feel like early spielberg he has more passion in it than later sometimes later it feels like he's tired and kind of like he likes stuff but like ready player one is like or just you have to crank out a Spielberg every now and then just yeah. to, to stay relevant. Because he's because he's so prolific, he's the prolific guy. He's not going to be the guy that suddenly disappears. You know, oh, where's Spielberg? No, he has to keep making these movies every six months. A Spielberg movie has to come out. He's kind of dialed it down though, hasn't he? Mm-mm. he he's still cranking. He did it up. like The Post, and he did Ready Player One, and he did BFG, and he, like you can sit and name the Spielberg movies just in the last five years. Did you direct all those or some of those? Yeah. Are those produced no. by? Those are directed by? Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Same Private Ryan is one. <laughs> the Same Private Ryan is my favorite war movie of all time. I think it's probably the greatest war movie. I will say that on record. I, I did see that one and I did, I don't want to say enjoy it, but I enjoyed it. It was. No, yeah, I know what you're saying. That it, was another it kept, one. It kept my attention and I was in the movie the entire time. But that was another one when I saw it in the theater. The emotion that I got out of it and. That was the first time that a war movie seemed real to me. The way it was shot with the like handheld camera, limited soundtrack. During the war scenes, there's no music to make it feel. You were there. Yeah, and it was disturbing. Like You always saw war as kind of this heroic, especially in America. It's this patriotic. But then you saw it. He portrayed World War II in the realistic light of what these guys actually went through. And it's the way he does it is it's admirable. Yeah, There's still continuity errors in it, though. <laughs> details <laughs> but no why like i still one of the greatest war movies but then war movies are weird because you get i'm not a huge war movie fan but like apocalypse now, i love apocalypse now but i don't consider apocalypse now a war movie is a movie took taking place it's like it the war. takes place it, during war it's more because especially when you read heart of darkness and you start comparing that's a modern retelling of heart of darkness it's just it's just different in what ways than a war movie yeah because it's Apocalypse Now. So, for instance, same Private Ryan I would consider a realist war movie. It's more realism. Platoon is in the same boat where it's trying to depict war in a real fashion to get the emotion, the negative emotion towards the conflict. Not, not, to, glor- not to glorify. Not to glorify like the right. old John Wayne. You right. know, We're going to take this flag up this mountain or the longest or, day. Or Patton. Yeah, Patton. Which Patton is glorifying Patton. Which, right. But still, it's all about how great I, how great I am, how great the U.S. is. Right, but Apocalypse Now is more almost a surreal look at it because, um, well, there's a lot of reasons, but it's using, <laughs> but it's using Heart of Darkness 
which was written in 18, what, 98, I think, as a primary text, but then it's appropriating Vietnam onto it. So you're going to get the weird metaphors and allegories that Heart of Darkness has juxtaposed onto a, or sutured onto a Vietnam film. So which just takes a, a the, grafted on. Which, I guess, I guess appropriated. Okay. It's appropriated. Have you read Heart of Darkness? I have not. Do you know what it's about? No. Um, Heart of Darkness, just loosely, it's about the ivory trade in Africa. And the main character who's narrating it has to go down the Congo River to get Kurtz, who has basically gone, what they got, gone native. He has become one of the tribesmen so he's slaughtering people and he's because the whole idea of when man goes back to nature they turn into you know it's that whole motif when you when he gets down into the congo river and it gets darker and darker as he goes um he starts to see how humanity fades away and it becomes more savage and visceral but it has a lot to do with the fading british empire and imperialism because of 1898 the ivory trade and it was showing how it kind of ruined these people in the congo so then what coppola did was take that narrative and put it on america in vietnam and that's why it which, gets which is, which is an interesting parallel parallel interpretation or yeah, yeah take almost 100 making, years making later connection. yeah making those those different connections yeah. And so the way Apocalypse Now is shot, the further you get down the river, the darker it gets. The Like there's that scene where he, they come across the Playboy bunnies. Remember yeah. that scene? Yeah. And, they're, and then the, the servicemen try to grab them all. And it gets – and then they get further down and there's that bridge they're defending, which is actually a scene from – heart of darkness where the insanity of war is like the people don't know what they're the one guy's just shooting into the jungle (laughs) for no reason because they've lost their minds of being that far detached right that's all stuff that's all metaphors taken from heart of darkness but thrown into vietnam and it makes it it's doing the same thing platoon's doing but in a different way in a more i would say artistic way that's war movies you want to talk about kubrick for a little bit as we as we get ready for your Kubrick workshop, yeah, because um, you kind of like him too, right? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Which is funny because I didn't discover Kubrick till later in life. I how was late? so on a, actually how I discovered. Well, I watched The Shining when I was in high school and I didn't like it. I didn't get it. I didn't. I was like, that was a horror movie. Nothing really happened in it. It's not um, scary. Yeah, and I didn't. Um, I'd read the book first, and so I was expecting the book. This was pre-internet or early yeah, internet, right. so it wasn't like I had all this stuff on the internet to tell me it's different from the book. I read the book, then I was like, "Oh, the movie should be pretty close." No, not at all, and I didn't like it. And then in college, someone showed me Clockwork Orange, and I did not get that at all. I was like, "What is this movie? Like, they're in the future, or they're I don't know." It's, raping people i didn't get it and so kubrick's name with me was not i was like i I saw two movies and they were i don't know when i was in grad school part one i had a uh cubicle mate and she did her composition class based on kubrick movies and so she had all the students watch a different kubrick movie and that's what they wrote their paper on so some shows and so she had each all. student had their own movie. Yeah, basically. I mean you're gonna. I mean there's some overlap, but yeah, because of how many students they shove into right. composition classes. But yeah, they, so all the movies she had them and she would divide them up. And I was like, I don't know about that. And she said, No, you need to. She said you need to watch it because and she's giving me a list. 
And I was like, all right, you know, whatever, whatever. So Amanda went to, on Black Friday, Best Buy, they usually have Blu-rays for sale for like $2. And one <laughs> of them was the direct, the re-release of Clockwork Orange. And she bought it thinking that I liked it. And I was like, I, <laughs> I say, you know what? Because then now you put together, she just told me I need to watch it. Amanda bought it for me. So it must be the universe, right? Pop it in and I sit there and watching it. And for whatever reason, I don't know what it was at that moment, but... I was like, this movie is amazing. It worked. Like, I don't it, think I got it when I was younger. Um, and then it spiraled. It was, then I watched The Shining again. I love that. I watched Lolita. Then I went to, because with the Blu-ray, it came with Kubrick Life and Pictures, the two-hour documentary. And so it went through all of his movies. And so it had like Spielberg and Lucas talking about. And so I got to see kind of like a an overview of what I was supposed to appreciate. So it was easier then to be like, now I'm going to watch Lolita. Now I'm going to watch... Dr. Strangelove, and I'm going to... And it kind of spiraled out of there. Now it's like a weird obsession. I've seen all of them now. I think that's capital O obsession. Yeah, I've seen them all multiple times. I've taught a course now in it. I've taught The Shining three times now, I think. Isn't half your library books about Kubrick? I have a lot of Kubrick books. This year is the 20th anniversary of his death. And is also the 20th anniversary of um, Eyes Wide Shut. So he finished Eyes Wide Shut... Well, it, what we have is done of Eyes Wide Shut. I'll get into that when we talk about it in the talk. But um, And then he died four days later, five days later. Uh, so what we have of Eyes Wide Shut is what Warner Brothers essentially patched together and gave us. He was still working on it. So, and with the moon landing, we said, Tim and I discussed trying to find moon movies, which there aren't really many good ones. Especially the first moon landing. There's Apollo 13. But that's not but that's about, not, that's that's about not the, the disaster. One, yeah. Right. Which there I'm was, fine with. That's a fine movie, but it's not. There was the the one that just came out recently, which did not get good reviews. There was a Capricorn one, which is about faking it, which, which is about faking it. But I thought it'd be an entertaining and enjoyable movie to to bring up and talk about. Yeah. And we did a poll on Facebook. Oh yeah. And everyone because I said Interstellar and Interstellar, and most people voted for 2001 to be the that was the top the, one. the moon the moon landing anniversary movie we showed. So Interstellar was number two, folks. So. That's because I think you had all your friends vote for it. No, I didn't do that. I should have. They wouldn't have been higher. They would have been higher. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so we're going to show 2001. So we're going to 2001 um, and the workshop beforehand about Kubrick. Yeah, I wanted to do the workshop on Kubrick because it's a, it's a good place to put a workshop on his life because 2001 was, I mean, that was kind of the defining moment that made him, that's... That's what Kubrick is, was 2001 and everything. You have early Kubrick and you have late Kubrick, and they're both marked with 2001 is the middle point. So anything, there's before 2001, then there's after 2001. Would we have Star Wars without 2001? No. You wouldn't have Alien, you wouldn't have Star Wars, you wouldn't have Blade Runner, you wouldn't have... You you might have them, but they'd be different. They wouldn't be... Because even George Lucas says Star Wars, like the ships, when they were designing the ships... They took a lot of that from 2001 because pre-2001, and you know because we showed Forbidden Planet last year. Forbidden Planet and and sci-fi movies like this, the ships were very sleek and very shiny and very... And sci-fi was very... UFO-ish. UFO-ish. You go to... I mean, War Day the Day 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 Still, was War a, of the Worlds. Was a basic disc flying, disc with a dome yep. landing. Yep. Smooth, sleek, alien, robot. You had a lot of invasion-type movies. Uh, you had nuclear anxiety movies. You had them. 
You had, in Japan, you had Godzilla. But then 2001 came out, and it was different. And a lot of people, when it came out, didn't understand it. They didn't get it. People walked out. But it was cool. People walked out of it. Um, A lot of reviewers walked out of it. What really spurned 2001 was the counterculture. People would drop acid and go watch it. And it got so popular that then people were saying, wait a second, what's this movie doing? And now you go back and watch it and say, oh, well. Because the music, like you watch the music. And the first, what, 40, 25, I think it's the first 25 minutes, there's zero dialogue. Because it's the apes and then it's the, then you have the Donny B. Waltz and then you have the, and so what he was doing was just ahead of its time. So now, I guess you could also say science fiction before 2001 and science fiction after 2001. Because it, it dramatically changed how space... But it changed, movie, it changed movies, too. Right. Even the music, the, how we use music now, is that's all Kubrick. Because is it all classical? Mm-hmm. The entire soundtrack is classical. Because he had a composer right, and then he threw it out. And he said, nah, I'm just going to use classical. Now, works. there is some, like, the scene at the end where the where he's in the alien zoo, as they call it now. There's, like, the, there's no soundtrack, per se. It's weird sounds and voices and the rest of it is, yeah. And Daisy. Ligeti is in it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, Daisy. He's singing <laughs> Daisy. That's not a classical. Um, no, that's not a classical. 2001 is a good place to put a, a talk about just Kubrick's legacy, in a way. So that's why I'm tentatively calling it 20 years later because it's stuff we're still doing in cinema good cinema is there's a lot of kubrick you can point and go oh yeah even i like us my students younger and they they watched us and they said because us came out around the same time we were studying the shining and so they were saying like they're watching it going oh yeah there's like mirrors here and it's doubles and the slow tracking shots i'm like yep I said, go back and watch a horror movie before that, and yeah. Those aren't new developments. No. We won't have time to, like, look at every single movie, because he did 13 full-length movies. Because we're looking about, what, an hour and a half for your workshop? Yeah, about an hour and a half. And even then, you could probably go... Oh, I could go long, but I'll keep doing an hour and a half. And I'm not going to talk about Spartacus, because he often didn't like that movie. He was brought in halfway through, and he didn't feel like it was his movie. It was Michael... Douglas or Kirk Douglas, sorry, they're both still alive. So, uh, Kirk Douglas was the producer, and he kind of had a strong arm around it, and they butted heads. And Kubrick wasn't allowed to do a lot of stuff. And again, when you bring in halfway through, I don't know how much you're supposed to do, but so he often, even later on, people would talk to him about it, and he would roll his eyes and say, "Yeah, I don't really like that movie." So I'm not talking about Spartacus. I probably it, it, won't it, talk it's about. The, it's the ignored movie. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not talking about Spartacus. There's hints of Kubrick. You could see it in there and go, "Oh, that was him." But it's not like some of the others where you go, "This is definitely a Kubrick Especially shot." Especially when, like you said, his movies, he had complete. Yeah, he had complete control over it. Writing, directing, editing. I mean, he even directed the marketing of the movies. Full Metal Jacket. He had his um, assistant go around London and take pictures of all the blockbuster stores to see if the displays were set up appropriately and then some (laughs) of them weren't and they had to go back and say stanley says you have to put this video in this specific yeah which is crazy amount of control right you don't get that today i don't even think i don't even think tarantino has that they always talk about tarantino didn't even care right because you you seldom get final cut he had final cut on everything nolan has final cut 
Tarantino has Final Cut. I'm trying to think of mainstream because Kubrick was still Abrams? pretty mainstream. Anderson? I don't think it, Abrams definitely was on Final Cut with Disney floating on his shoulders. Wes Anderson, maybe I'd have to look. How much of it is because they're producing, you have to be successful. They're first. producing it in house first. Yeah, I mean Kubrick got big and he was granted Final Cut. I think if I remember right, it was. Um, I think it was Doctor Strangelove because that, that was a that was a big movie. That was his first one with Final Cut. That was what kind of gave him. Okay. He just and then two thousand one and then it just after that Warner Brothers just wrote, wrote him a check. They would get mad when he go over budget. Like two thousand one was, I think he went six million dollars over budget. That was a lot at that point. That time. was a lot, and they got pretty mad about that. So what happened was after two thousand one because they were saying, well, you know, this is such a huge budget film, and yeah. He said, well, I can make a low-budget film, so he made Clockwork Orange. And it is. It's low-budget. And when you watch it, it's <laughs> it's a gritty kind of low-budget. And the rest of his movies, he kept the budgets low because he had no... He had like 20 people on staff because he said, rightly, I can shoot a film and tell a story. I can just, you know, do it my way, and it's low-budget. And they made tons of money off of him. Go through chronologically from Spartacus to Eyes Wide Shut, his movies. I can go through all of them chronologically. That's what I'm asking. I don't know. I don't remember where they all fall. Well, within. it starts. Uh, Fear and Desire was his first. It was like fifty-two, and I think he borrowed ten thousand dollars and shot it. And it's unwatchable. It's but, not. But good. you've watched it. It's not. Yeah, it's not good. I think he's even said that's not good. Uh, then there's Killer's Kiss, which is a noir film, and it's it's decent. It has some good areas, but he's still very young. You can tell he's still kind of learning. The Killing was next. The Killing is really good. It's a noir film. Then it was Pads of Glory, which is a war film, anti-war film, which has one of the best probably battle scenes in cinema history, um, where they're crossing no man's land and Kirk Douglas is in it. Then it was Spartacus, unfortunately, because Kirk Douglas said, "Hey, come direct Spartacus, because yeah. I know you from Pads of Glory." Then it was Lolita. Then it was, which I love Lolita. Then it was Doctor Strange Love. Then it was 2001. Then it was Clockwork Orange. Then it was Barry Lyndon. Then it was Shining, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut. So not many. No, not it, because it took him so long. The early ones didn't, but then he got in this habit of just completely diving into it. With every, He was trying to read everything about the subject and everything and just to get everything right in it. But then he also got caught up in, he wanted to make a movie about Napoleon for years. And he was obsessed with making this movie about Napoleon to the point that he had scripts written. But the budget would have been ridiculous because he wanted <laughs> to do these huge war scenes yeah. and these Before period CGI. piece, yeah, these period piece costumes and the, the cinema. They just kept saying, you, know, you can't do that. Like it's Because he wanted to do Napoleon, I think, between 2001 and Clockwork Orange. And that's when he said, oh, I can make a low-budget film. So he made Clockwork Orange. Of course, there's the controversy with that. He was always kind of heartbroken over how people viewed Clockwork Orange because they misunderstood it. And even at the end of his life, he said that because he pulled it all out of England so that you couldn't get it until after he died in England. He was talking to his assistant in the autobiography, and he asked him, about Clockwork Orange, and he said that he like the way people took it was out of context. Like he he was actually hurt how people viewed the movie because uh, they attacked him personally because of the violence and like and he, when you watch it, you're like it's not. I mean, the the violence has to be there to show what he's trying to say about violence and media. And yeah. <laughs> he tried to make this Napoleon movie, and it just and it kept falling through. And so he would spend time on it, and then instead he made Barry Lyndon. 
he went back to it, but then it fell through. And he's like, well, Barry Lyndon was kind of a failure commercially, so I'll make a horror movie, The Shining. And then he wanted to make a Vietnam movie, so he made he wanted to make the first Vietnam movie. Platoon was released before he got Full Metal Jacket done. Hamburger Hill was released before Full Metal Jacket was done. Like, he was shooting it. And by the time Full Metal Jacket came out, we had Vietnam, fatigued. Jade, yeah, was... And so, commercially, it kind of... I mean, it's a great movie now, but he was kind of upset about that because he it took him so long. Of course, he didn't have... Again, he was shooting with... 20 people so it's going to take him longer than you know whoever that has 110 people yeah Yeah. so then he wanted to do the Aryan papers for a long time which is a film about the holocaust and he got really far into development with the Aryan papers and then schindler's list came out so that whole thing got thrown out put in a box years yeah there's yeah there's boxes of Aryan papers like research and stuff years of work on this and so then he started on ai and AI, the technology wasn't quite there for what he wanted to do. So he brought Spielberg in and was like, I, I'll produce it. You can shoot it. Spielberg was all right with that. But then he started on Eyes Wide Shut instead. And then he he died. It's not, now that I've taught it and I've studied it so much, it's not a complete movie. Which is unfortunate because it is an amazing movie. But towards the end, you can tell he wasn't done editing it. Yeah, you said you could go through and... And even your students, I can, I can your mark, students yeah, were picking yeah. up saying, yeah, this is, this, he didn't do this part. Yeah, you could see, especially if you watch his others, you could set the point where go and go, I think Warner Brothers threw this on the screen because they didn't know where he was going with it. Because his idea was you the film is made in the editing room, so you just shot as much and then you could edit, which is true to a point, especially now with digital. The movie's made based on how you edit it. I mean, and so he would spend months editing. Six, I think Eyes Wide Shut spent like six months just editing. And then he showed a version of it to Warner Brothers and Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And that's the one they always point to and say, yeah, it was done. He showed us that. But then when you read his assistant's autobiography, his assistant talks about showing them that. And then he went back and started working on it again, which means... He wasn't done. He wasn't done. And he notoriously often would release the movie and then cut it further and then re-release it. Based on audience. Right, that's pretty common, reception. isn't it? I don't know. Do they still do that? Yeah. was reading about some movie that did that. And then I heard another review talking about some movie coming out. And they had to go back and re- reshoot the entire third act. Because of the audience. Probably a freaking Star Wars movie. No, it wasn't Star Wars. It, <laughs> they it was, do reshoots all the time with Rogue uh, One. and It, it was... In, in that level of blockbuster, yeah, this coming Avengers? up. No, it, it was something coming out that they they had to go back and. No. And I remember years ago I saw a rough cut of Men in Black. Really? Before what was that like? Before the special effects were added. So as they as they're in the the um, the room where they're monitoring the aliens, and they have the big screens, uh, computer screens up on the wall. The monitors were filled with image to be inserted here with a big. Uh, white screen so they had to go through and i think they were just judging us on the audience reaction to the movie we went in knowing it was unfinished it was a movie in production but they we weren't allowed to talk about it so it was obviously an early release and it was just it was interesting seeing the movie in that state and then watching it in release with all the special effects added so So, so how do you feel about the new one then I'm not sure. Is it supposed to be a reboot or is it a continuation from the old uh, ones? Or I think it's just a different story. Or just the new generation. Yeah, I think so. It's that whole thing. 
What's it called? Men in Black International, I think, because you have to yeah. shoot things in England. Right, they they get to go all, all over the world now. Yeah. Tra- traveling and visiting aliens. <sighs> there are the little aliens. It's the little guy. The coffee drinking ones and the cigarette no, smokers. No, those are kind of funny because they're a yeah, throwback. They're crude. Fat-headed guy that sits on their shoulders. That is that comic relief. Oh, yeah. That feels completely out of place. He's almost like the, what was the pug's name that they used in every movie Those. At one point, wearing a suit like the Men in Black. Yeah. These just, they, I look at them and it's like, you have a serious movie that's funny, and you're adding a cartoon character. I don't know if they have the humor though of Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones because they play that comedy straight guy routine really well in the movie. Because who's in, the in Men in Black? Who's the male? Chris lead? Hemsworth, and I don't know who the female is. Is he the straight He's guy? He's Thor, right? Yeah. And is he how, the straight how do we, guy? How do we like, see him past Thor. Yeah. That's, which is a problem all those actors are going to have of yeah. how do they have lives outside of Marvel. But I don't know. Nah, but, but Pratt I'm not of, interested. Pratt kind of pulled off between Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic Park. Ah, did he? he he's, not quite the same, he's not quite the same character. <laughs> did, did he? I don't know about that one, Tim. And then Chris Pine between Star Trek and Wonder Woman. Uh, did he? These aren't strong arguments. They're a little... They're, they're a little different. <laughs> These aren't strong arguments. But still, it's tough. To, it's, it is. It's, I think that's what happened to Johnny Depp. Typecasting. Yeah. Jack Sparrow. I think his movies after Pirates of the Caribbean just were not. They bombed. But how much of that is because he's not as interested in developing his craft as he used to be because he's comfortable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that. But and will, I'm just saying. Will, will Robert think, Downey Jr. make good movies or is he? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? We'll find out. He's doing another Sherlock Holmes. Which that's good. I liked him as Sherlock Holmes. With Will Ferrell? No. <laughs> Holmes and Watson. No. Nope. Now what? What did you, you want to talk about? You're going to get that thing you do. I already got it. I just bought it. It's Amazon is on the way. So we'll be watching that. watch it, and Tim's going to give you his thoughts. I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> and Midsummer is coming up in July. July 3rd. July 3rd. And I have to go see that because I saw I made you go see Endgame. Yes, you owe me like four movies from Endgame. <laughs> Midsummer. I'll just start naming them. Yeah, all. Well, yeah, what, what Midsummer, Midsummer, Midsummer I'll, I'll give you two. Black Coat's Daughter. Do that. We'll do. Two, we'll do that thing you do. That thing you do, and I'll let it go. No, I'm not, I'm not going to punish. I'm not going to make you take that off of your because I want to see that thing you do. Oh, okay. It's it's the ones that we're making each and other they, see to expand okay. ourselves. Maybe it. When we'll go see it, Chapter Two. I haven't seen it. One. I'll make you watch it. One and then we'll watch it chapter two. Okay. Because I think that's uh, this summer's just kind of blah. It seems like they put all their cards at the beginning, like usual. Beginning at the end. And there's not really anything I can point to and say, I can't wait to see that in the midsummer. And Spider Man. Nope. Not ready to see that. Is that this summer? Yeah, it's in a month. Oh my gosh. Didn't we just. <laughs> God. <laughs> I thought at least they were going to wait till like Christmas. You did say you saw. The spoiler-filled trailer for Spider-Man. Yeah, it looked and you horrible. and you made, were even less interested in oh seeing it than it looked, before. Oh, it was terrible looking. But people were excited. YouTube people, they were excited. It, look, I thought the trailer trailer looked interesting. Yeah, he's gonna fight some kind of elemental. Well, that part creature. I don't care about. That's the bad. It's stupid. And then oh, there's a multiverse Spider-Man and. Yeah, we know because they made a better movie called Into the Spider Verse. So now you're trying to mimic that. Nice job, Disney. Well, that way they can bring the multiverse in, and we have time travel. So now all of the stories are wide open. Wouldn't it be hilarious? I would laugh so hard 
if he goes and he gets in this multiverse and they open it and all it is is just the end of Avengers and people watch it again and the drool just runs out of their mouths with the popcorn. They're like, I love this movie so much. Uh, <laughs> spoiler, it's not a good movie. Captain America's old. Captain America. Uh, <laughs> stupid movie. I hate that. I actually, that's a movie. It's worn on me and I actually like it less the more I think about it. <laughs> Because people just want to oh stop talking gosh. about it, and ever just and like any argument you bring up against it, they just they say it, it needed to do that. No, it that is a stupid argument. It needs to be poorly paced. That makes no sense. Yeah, it's uh, the more reviews I hear about it, the more it's like it's but great then it actually they had to do this. Like they didn't have to do that. It's great that they did do that. I still wanted more. But then it's gotten worse when I was listening to the fanboys things they were bringing up, even as fanboys saying, "Yeah." This wouldn't actually make sense, but... And then I heard it, and I was like, no, that makes the movie worse now that I think about it. And it had to do with the time travel crap. Yeah, everyone has problems like with time travel. Like, it's made it worse. Right. Like me, and I even shut my brain off to that part. But now that I'm like, well, we really want to start nitpicking, I guess I can open that old wound up. One I thought about was um, the whole idea of the click, the snapping, of Tony Stark snapping and dying. Captain Marvel standing there with that stupid glove, and she's supposedly... The most powerful being in the universe. Why didn't she just put on Snap? End of movie. Well, then they're doing because the- Tim, they had to have the story where Tony Stark, Stark died. Dies. Yeah, because yeah. pretty much every Avenger had the gauntlet at yeah. some point in time. Yeah, it was with, bouncing with, with, around. With, with and just use it. Be in. Done with it. Right. Yeah. Nope. Had to have the story. Ugh, whatever. So let's wrap up with the <laughs> mov- the movie's trivia game. Let's do a few quick questions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me, we, haven't, we haven't done that for a while. Let me pull this one out here. So it is the movie's trivia game published by Oh, yeah. Here, you, get, you take some. I don't know who's published by. Somebody. All right. You ready? Oh, this one's roll, for you. Are you going to pick? We're not going to roll the die? We're just going to pick? No, nah, I'm just going to give you one. Okay. We'll do three um, questions each. Yes. Okay. You like comedies slash cartoons. Here we go. True or False. Blame it on Rio as a remake of a French movie, One Wild Moment. True. It is true. You didn't know anything, did you? I, 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 had a, I had a 50-50 chance. <laughs> okay, action-adventure. Oh, okay. What was Tom Cruise's call sign in Top Gun? Maverick. Well, that was a tough one. You know, I actually had to... <laughs> the fake? I saw you going, wait. wait and I was wait. like, oh no, Tom Cruise movies. <laughs> Who plays reporter John Klein... In the Mothman prophecies, I'm guessing a gear. It is Richard Gear because I've not seen the movie, but he's the only one I know that was in that movie. It's so. Richard Gear, yeah. Have you been down to? I've driven through it. I, need, I, need I haven't to go gone down. to Mothman Festival. Um, what town is it in Ohio? Point Pleasant. Point Pleasant. That's what. Yep. I haven't gone to the actual festival. I drove through Point Pleasant. I at least want to go to the museum. I don't know about the festival because that seems like they could be a band of weirdos. Yeah. Don't they have a statue there? Of yeah, there's Mothman? a statue, a museum. Isn't that bizarre? Like, a bridge collapsed. Why wouldn't you have a statue or, like, a memorial to the people that... Maybe they do. I think they do. Okay, but... It's all about the Mothman. It's all about the, <laughs> it's all about the Mothman. All about the Mothman. That sounds like our next movie. All about the Mothman. That could be part of the uh, Whisper on the Grave. Whisper on the Grave yeah. sequel. Or it'd be the prequel you find out at the end, like freaking Riven and Mist. I'm going to give you a drama musical question. Oh, God. <laughs> Who earned Academy Awards for Kramer vs. Kramer and Sophie's Choice? You're overthinking it. Uh, Dustin Hoffman? No. Meryl Streep. 
Whenever it said who won an Academy Award, just, oh, say, Meryl, yeah. just, just say Meryl Streep. Uh, I can honestly tell you I've never seen either, either of, of those, those movies. Yeah. So I was really trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat on that one. But these are too easy for you. One more each. Drama slash musical, since boom, you boom, shot boom. that one at yep. me. Who's the captain of the East High varsity basketball team in High School Musical? This is no multiple choice. <laughs> <laughs> You just had a blank stare. <laughs> That's a past my generation. I'm going to go with Zach Efron. It was Zach Efron, <laughs> but his name is Troy Bolton. Well, everyone knows that. Yeah. Duh. Horror sci-fi. All right. I have not read the question. I'm just going blind on this one. True or false? So it is multiple choice because you already know it's either one or the other. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger goes back in time to kill John Connor in The Terminator. False. He goes back in time to kill Sarah Connor. That's almost word for word what's on the card. Yes. See, that was a trickster one. Yes. Wait, I have one last one for you, just in light just, just of our fun. entire theme. All right. What movie did Harrison Ford, Marlon Brando, Lawrence Fishburne, and Martin Sheen all have roles in? Go through those names again. Harrison Ford, they're all in the same movie. Right. Harrison Ford, Marlon Brando, Lawrence Fishburne, as in The Matrix, yeah. and Martin Sheen. Apocalypse Now. It was Apocalypse Now. Harrison Ford <laughs> is the. Uh, uh, um, he's like the secretary guy at the beginning. Oh. He's in it like two minutes. Shows you where we've come, there Harrison go. Ford. There we go. Movies trivia game. Movies trivia game. And we talked about our upcoming movies and things about them. Things about them. And um, that th- it's that thing you do. Time. Yeah. That'll be a, what? That'll be a quick cut coming up because I'll get it in the mail like tomorrow because it's Amazon. But I'm going to be out of town for a week, so I we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, it'll be what because we have how many coming out before yeah. then? Because I'm going on vacation. One. So our next quick cut is Tim episode one. Episode one, a Star Wars episode one, Phantom Menace. Yes. I don't know. I don't know the sequence of where he did Black Coat's daughter. Because yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what <laughs> we record them and I put we them record out, them and we and play I put them. out whenever I feel like it. <laughs> Whatever. Tim and I will be talking about Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. Correct. Whatever that means. The Chinese is, version. The Chinese version. Because we went and studied Chinese just to watch it. Mandarin. Yes. To see if Jar Jar Binks is any better. He is, actually, surprisingly. Yeah. In Chinese. All this, right. This is from the Persinium podcast. We enjoyed from yourselves. Persinia Film Society. No, we did. we did. We enjoyed ourselves. We did. We did. Email us at podcast at persiniafilmsociety.org or follow me on Twitter. Follow on Twitter. Talk to at me. Persinia Film. I'm on I'm on Instagram. Dustin's the, the Twitter guy. Contact us there and let us know what you think. Sounds good. Play us out.